listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, Sixers fans, the first game of the new season is in the books. Didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. We'll give you the details on what we saw with some of the rotations of some of the players. James Harden looked great in this game. But again, we're only looking at this. It's the first of 82. Going to give you the details coming up here. Before we do, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this post-game edition of the 30, as he usually does, Mr. Jackson, Frank Jackson. A weird, weird game for this one in the fact that it was basically the tale of two halves, right? The teams were even at the break, and then the Celtics really started to pour it on in that third quarter, ended up outscoring uh, the Sixers by 10 in quarter number three, and ultimately ended up with a 126-117 win. As I mentioned off the top, James Harden looked great. He had 35, uh, eight rebounds, seven assists, Joel Embiid, 26 and 15. But when you look at what happened in that third quarter, and Jason Tatum was phenomenal, especially in that third quarter throughout this game. He had 35 points, 12 rebounds, uh, hit some ridiculous shots. But in your opinion, Jackson, what kind of went off the rails for the Sixers there in the third quarter? Yeah, well, I mean, it was really, you know, it was really that that's that late second quarter run that changed things, right? The Sixers were up eight, about four minutes to go after Embiid hit a three, and then, you know, going to halftime tie, it's, it's a tough uh, to surrender an eight-point lead in four minutes. But uh, I thought they came out really flat offensive in the second half, a lot of weird possessions. Um, they had a couple of nice sets for Embiid in that, that third quarter, but um, Tobias took a weird jumper early in the clock. I thought Harden was a little passive at times on that. You know, um, you know, on, on to open that third quarter, uh, the defensive miscommunications all game were pretty abysmal. Uh, it looked like a team that had a lot of has a lot of new rotation players trying to run a switch heavy scheme, uh, and they didn't really navigate screens very well. Um, I thought, you know, Embiid was really poor defensively for the most part right. as well. Just and some of that, you know, I think was at times he was trying to avoid fouls, but even when he wasn't really in foul trouble at a given point in the game, he was bypassing, you know, chances to alter shots around the rim. I didn't think he, I just didn't think he looked super sharp as a rim protector, interior defender. And the Celtics shot 34, 47 on twos. And I think some of that speaks to the mis- miscommunications and the kind of the, the late or lack of rotation from him in the paint. So um, that plus, you know, Tatum had some really tough shots throughout the game. Same with Jalen Brown, I think those two combined to shoot like 23 of 27 on two or something like that. They didn't light it up from three, but they weren't really missing shots inside the arc. So, uh, you know, that was tough. Malcolm Brogdon gave the Celtics some really good minutes, gave the Sixers some issues. Um, you know, whether it was Maxi or Anthony Melton guarding Brogdon, he often got to his spots and did what he wanted to, you know, as that kind of ball handler off the bench. So, um, just a, just a game where the Sixers didn't look sharp and their, their player was supposed to be this MVP candidate. You know, it you know it was an MVP candidate last year and the year before that, and it's supposed to be a really good defender. You know, struggled to read the floor offensively and wasn't good defensively. And and when that's the case, it's going to be tough unless you know you get supernova performances from everyone else. And while Harden was very good offensively, uh, you know, Tobias was really quiet in the second half. Maxi came on early in the, you know, kind of the waning stages of the third, and then to open the fourth. But um, just not enough, you know, from them, and just just a game that. They, they didn't play well at all for the most part. They scored 117 points and you know, were quite prolific offensively. Yeah, we said, I said this with uh, Paul uh, when we did the season preview podcast on Monday. Basically that, hey, look, this is a squad that might start off slow, right? They might start off four and six, five and five. A lot of new and moving parts with even though the, the core of the team um, is carrying over. Although obviously, assume uh, looking back at it, Harden wasn't there 
the whole time, but you got Harden and Bede, Maxi, Tobias Harris. Those are kind of your four glue guys. And then you have a bunch of moving parts uh, around them too. But when you were watching this team on the offensive end, one thing I didn't like, a lot of Embiid post-ups weren't working. Uh, Boston has been uh, uh, turned things around last season. It was one of the best defensive teams in the league and, and was the best defensive team if you look at the back half of last season. Obviously carried that over to this one. And you look at the Celtics squad bringing back most of their uh, you know players that were a big part of them getting to the NBA finals, a big part of their turnaround. So they have the advantage of continuity. But when you were looking at, at some of the stuff, maybe that docs staff was running in the, and the system, when you're looking at it, what do you think that you, you might've saw in this game that like, okay, hopefully that doesn't stick around for the long run. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of creativity. Guys weren't getting the ball on the move a lot either. I think that's an important thing. Uh, you know, I think the, the Celtics did well at, you know, at certain points to kind of combat Harden and Bede pick and rolls at the point of attack, but I thought they should have gone to that more. That was a pretty uh, effective form of offense for the Sixers when they went to. It also helped get Embiid going at times. Um, you know, like Embiid didn't necessarily like play well, but, you know, he still ended, you know, with 26 and 9 of 18 shooting. I think, you know, some of that was once the game was decided, but you saw him. I think he played better offensively over the final three quarters. And some of that was because he found some rhythm with, you know, as a roller and whatnot and working at that face up in the mid range. But, um, I thought that that was something they could have done better. Uh, it seemed like at times as well that Embiid was frustrated with the spacing. Um, he had a, on one of the turnovers in the third, kind of when it, when Tatum was really starting to get going, Tobias cut in the middle of the paint and that brought Tatum in. And then when Embiid tried to make his move toward the middle of the, the key, uh, Tatum was there for a strip and a, a steal for the fast break bucket. So uh, it does, does not meant to absolve Embiid of his, you know, of his own struggles in this one, but I think you know they've they've got to kind of figure out that space, and that's been something that Doc talked about at length about really nailing that down. And Beads talked about it as well. So, um, you know, I, I I think you know Doc has never you know at least in the time he's been a Sixers coach hasn't really been a super creative offensive mind, and maybe that also is you know a criticism of Dave Yeager, who's often taking. I think he's the offensive coordinator. So um, just stuff like that. I think they could have gotten the ball to Maxi on the move a little more. I know I thought he played pretty well overall. I think, you know, so, but just stuff like that, I thought was, you know, an issue and transition defense was awful for as good as brilliant as hard was offensively. He was pretty wretched defensively, um, just late around screens, late in hell, pretty bad, you know, in transition. And some of that wasn't all his fault in transition. He was often left to dry out to dry with nobody else at back, but uh, yeah, just an all around dismal performance offensively and a lot of static possessions offensively, which I think at times is what, Embiid likes he likes to know where his guys are spaced and whatnot but uh I just thought they could have been you know a little better and you know B could have been better and it's gonna be a work in progress you know they're adding you know some new rotation guys so uh we'll see but yeah I don't think the offense looked great you know despite the numbers looking good I don't think the pro like you don't want to rely on Harden scoring 35 every night for the offense to look as good as it did or performed well. I don't think it looked great, but performed well, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I, I like you're saying. I mean, they shot 50% from the field overall, 38.2 from three, which is you know above league league average overall for for teams for the most part. Uh, if you look at the past few years, so uh, there were some good things. Like we mentioned, Harden had some real highlight moments. It looked like his passing was super sharp. He had some nice feeds that he was setting up some of his teammates. Uh, but again, like you said, 35 points for him. You look at 26 from Embiid. Maxi really came on in that uh, second half and and kind of brought the started trying to bring the Sixers back on his own. They would get close and then Boston would, would kind of pull away again to, to keep the lead 
at a comfortable distance. But when you look at this too, Jackson, and again, this is only game one, so we're not going to act like the sky is falling. It's a very long NBA season. It's the opposite of the NFL where you're like, damn, you lose the game. You think that your team's going to miss the playoffs and they stink. But when you look at the NBA, and again, given the talent that we have, we know the Sixers have, not going to act like the sky is falling. But you do want to pick up on, on some stuff. And, and I look at that too, where the ball movement has been an issue last couple of years in terms of uh, with having guys like you're mentioning, catching the ball on the move, being able to to get it in the right spot and getting some easy buckets. Because if you look at the underlying numbers too, like Boston outscored the the Sixers heavily in transition, and you look at points in the paint, it was 30 to 18 for the Celtics. And again, that's that's with a team who doesn't really have a proven big man scorer. Uh, Robert Williams also out. He's more of a finisher, but I mean Al Horford doesn't really play in the post. And you look at that. Guys like Tatum, guys like Jalen Brown were able to get to the hole and get those easy buckets. When you look at maybe an adjustment you would want to make with the roster that the Sixers currently have in terms of getting more ball movement, what would you try and look at doing on the offensive end? Yeah, I think it's, it's well, it's tough to an extent because the two main offensive pillars are guys who are generally quite good decision makers, but they're not necessarily guys who are going to instantaneously move the ball when they catch it. Harden is a great decision maker. We saw what he can do when defense collapsed on him as a passer, but he's a guy who's not going to explode off the catch a lot, right? He's going to take his time, survey the defense, and beat it the same way. So I think it's 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 getting – I think it's often getting Tobias and Maxi in these advantageous positions more often. Um, you know, and neither one of those guys are great passers. Both, I think, have gotten better over the last year or so. Um, last two years, especially, I think, in Maxi's case, of course, since he's so young, but – um, it's a tough proposition because, like I said, you're the, a lot of what the Sixers like to do and kind of who they run the offense through are methodical players who generally produce good offense for you, but that does kind of limit kind of how quick the ball is moving. So I I don't I I, I don't worry a ton about the offense. I think Embiid's gonna be better. I think Tobias is gonna be better. I didn't think he was terrible overall. I think Tobias was fine. He was just a little quiet in the second half, but that's kind of historically Tobias has been. He's been a He's been a first half player a lot of his, you know, a lot of his Sixers tenure, but I don't think he was bad necessarily. Um, but I thought Harden looked good, uh, but it's the defense. Like, I mean, Embiid has to be way better. I thought he was a, a negative defensively. Harden has to be, you know, I, I, I think Harden looked really, really bad tonight. Like, I don't expect Harden to be really good or even anything more than like a, a neutral player, but I thought he was poor. I thought Maxi was pretty good. I thought Tobias struggled at times, but, but I don't think it was from necessarily like a, I don't think it was an approach thing or, you know, a willingness to, whereas he just struggles around screens because he's a big player and the Celtics run a lot of those wide pin downs for Jalen Brown that are tough for, for Harris to navigate. So um, I thought Tucker was good defensively, despite Tatum getting a lot of, putting a lot of points on him. I thought Tatum did a lot of really impressive stuff when Tucker was in his grill. So um, my bigger concerns with the defense and, you know, it's just about streamlining that communication and, and bead this guy is supposed to be an all world defender um being a lot better than he was and and that's kind of going to be the the biggest setter so better communication and fewer perimeter breakdowns which will be a result of better communication and be being sharper to rotate when things come his way inside the paint especially yeah and and and, and like you're saying too like we've we talked about this last week too jackson like looking at the squad like they just have so many moving parts you look at their second unit everybody's basically new who played meaningful minutes although Matisse I think came on for like the last possession of the second half just for defensive matchup purposes because we knew the Sixers weren't going to be on offense and we didn't have to see them fire up a corner three but um, again it's going to take some time to figure this all out they got the good individually talented defenders we know that they can be good uh, Harden might be the, the the weakest link in terms of uh, just being a one-on-one -on -one guy but 
again, we know Daniel House is a good defender. We know De'Anthony Melton's a good defender. So uh, again, I, I think that we'll look at this in the in the bigger picture. This doesn't mean much, but you're looking at this still a loss in the standings to a team that you're going to be competing against, hopefully for the top spot in the conference. Let's take a quick break here, Jackson. I want to touch on some other things, including the bench, including uh, Doc's uh, rotation decisions. We'll do that after a short break. All right, we are back. Uh, Jackson, I wanted to jump into looking at the bench. And I, and I tweeted this out too. At one point, they only had eight points combined. Uh, ended up finishing the game with just 11. So, I mean, the, the starters combined for 106. You look at the Celtics on the other end. We knew Malcolm Brogdon was going to be a great pickup. Ended up being a six-man. Grant Williams was terrific in this one. Uh, hit all of his shots, five of five from the field, including all three of his outside shots. He had 15. He even beat some issues on defense as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, beat, yeah, and against him, and he was like, kind of like, well, you know, again, sloppiness going, going through it. But the bench got thoroughly outscored, which is something we saw a ton of last year where, okay, the offensive, the, the starters are, are keeping the team in it. It's pretty much well even or maybe a bit of a lead. And then you get to the second unit and they just can't score. And so we know that these guys are a little bit better uh, in terms of being proven talents with Melton, with House, with uh, George Niang. Montrez Hill got the nod over Paul Reed as the backup in this one. And again, we'll jump into that shortly. But when you look at the at the rotations that Doc went with, right, because he ended up getting uh, leaving Harden on for the entirety of the first quarter, and he looked great too. You had a uh, Harden and, and Tobias Harris on with three bench guys. Uh, Melton House came on, and then Harrell came in as I mentioned for Reed. And then to start the second quarter, you had Embiid, Maxi Niang, Melton House. Were you happy with with the fact that Doc actually staggered the, his guys, his main guys for this one, and at least we're getting a different look than than we have where it's like the all bench lineup or Embiid with four guys who can't create from the perimeter? Yeah, I thought I thought the rotations were generally fine. I have to go back and look through every single decision Doc made, but I like I, I, we we saw the stagger of Maxi and Embiid and Harris and Hard generally. Um, and like, I, I don't worry a ton about the bench scoriness. So that's not like how my litmus test kind of how they perform. You know, that if they're going to, if you're going to stagger and have two of your four best players in the court at all times, all four of whom are pretty dang talented offensive players that like, that's where the offense is still going to run through. So, um, I thought house was okay. I thought Melton was, was solid. I thought he actually gave some good minutes, even though Brogdon did some stuff against somebody also had his way at times with Brogdon. I thought it was a nice little battle watching them, you know, go against each other. Uh, Niang struggled a little bit. Harrell. Um, I thought he struggled against that switch heavy defense. You know, they have so much kind of length in the wings and, and just gen general handsiness. Boston does. And I think that gave Harrell some issues. You know, he missed a tough face up attempt against Jalen Brown. He botched a, a catch on a pick and roll. I think that ended up on, a, on an empty possession. So um, I think the bench played well, but for me, I don't know. Like I'm not going to every series. I'm not going like, to pull up the stat sheet and kind of look at the, the points for the bench and kind of use that as how, how I think they, they played. Um, so I, I thought that like, I don't think the rotations were really like there were times where Doc's rotations are certainly kind of maybe one of, if not the leading cult behind a Sixers loss or a Sixers underwhelming performance. But I thought it was just the defensive communication and Bede not being close to the superstar player he's been over the past three or four years. So, um, yeah, I thought his rotations were fine. Yeah, I think there's still probably one ball handler short. And I don't think Shake Milton's going to fix that. I know that people maybe want to see more of Shake but I just don't think he's quite the caliber of bench ball handler that you'd want. I don't think Melton is either. So, um, even though Melton did have a nice little pick and roll and hit a floater on him play with Embiid, but um, yeah, the bench was fine. I don't think it was like some sort of disaster. I just think it stemmed from, you know, like I said, all the factors I said earlier. I think it was just a lot of stuff with the starting units defense not being up to par. And I actually thought that you know the bench was solid and they they had some nice defensive. I think back to that, you know, that play early and I guess maybe this wasn't the bench necessarily, but I think 
you know, back to that play, you know, when Grant Williams hit that kind of ridiculous three early in the fourth, and the mm-hmm. maybe starting to get there. We all the way back into it. And just the plays like that were like, you know, they weren't great defensively, but when you play a good defensive possession like that and Grant Williams hits that kind of really, really impressive shot, uh, it's going to be tough. And that's not to say the Sixers couldn't have won. I'm not trying to say, oh, the, the basketball gods were against them, but um, it, your margin for error is so slim when you play defense like that, that when you do play a good defense on a given possession and they still hit a three, um, you're you're in a really, really difficult position. Yeah, Grant Williams, everybody's favorite guy, right? So that, that was that was the thing right there. He did his job, though, man. I mean, uh, lo- he's one of those guys. It's an old cliche that you hate to play against him, but you love having him uh, on your squad. And he's gonna have to he's gonna have to play some meaningful minutes with without uh, Robert Williams in, in the lineup for long. And again, Al Horford a little bit long in the two. So I think Grant Williams will have his fair share where he plays 24, 25 minutes like he did in this one uh before we jump into maybe some good stuff we saw jackson because i don't want to sound like we're being too negative for for game one of the season with, with basically 50 percent of the rotation guys are, are are brand new but let's talk about how bad the audio was on on tnt what the hell was going on with that because i was watching that and i'm like dude i knew tatum hit his shots before they even went in and i'm like i saw the amount of people who were tweeting about it and people were saying hey you know, fixes. They didn't even bother. They were just like, you know what? Screw you guys. It's game one. We're going to figure this out. But yeah, the audio kind of pissed me off a little bit watching this game. Yeah. that You know, we talked about, you know, with the Sixers defense being uh, in early season form. It certainly seemed like TNT's audio and visual were not synced up by that. Was a, that was a weird thing. I think that'll maybe a little better in the second half, uh, maybe at times, but yeah, it was certainly a, a bit of an unfortunate uh, situation for, for us viewers at home. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, good things to, you know, we touched on Harden. I thought he looked super explosive, creating space for his step backs. Um, you know, he didn't, didn't look great at times on his drives, but had one really explosive drive against Grant Williams. Uh, he did look a little kind of weirdly tepid on some of the, when he would get into the paint, like he didn't trust his finish necessarily, but four or five inside the arc, um, drew a bunch of free throws. I think a couple or two or three were technical free throws or, you know, that take foul play that were they're awarding one free throw now, but um, as we mentioned, the passing was really good. Ball through a couple of guys at him, you know, on a number of possessions, and he was super prompt to to make the proper read as a passer. So, um, you know, for all of his issues defensively, uh, and this one, I thought he was masterful offensively, and that's something that should be encouraging. I don't, you know, as I've said time and time again, I don't think he was necessarily like, you know, he didn't look like he was MVP hard. And again, I know maybe the numbers resembled it, but like, you know, he was five nine from three. That's not necessarily what you're looking for in terms of sustainability, but. He looked very noticeably better than he did a year ago, and that's kind of what you're looking for. I think he looks like a guy that you could, you know, expect to be a top ten to fifteen to sixteen player um, uh, this year. Maybe not top ten necessarily, but kind of in that twelve to fifteen range. And that's that's a noticeable step up, and should help the Sixers a lot. Assuming, you know, MB can play at the MVP level that we become accustomed to, and I would expect him to. I'm not going to use one game to to believe otherwise. Yeah, I'm I'm fully confident with uh, not just what I saw from Harden, uh, and like you mentioned, I just thought the way. He was running the offense when he was he needed to score at those times. He was taking some of those shots. And again, he was super efficient, nine to 14 from the field. But you're watching the way he's playing. To me, he looked way more assertive. He looked and again, I I know he's always confident, but I I think he looked like he just had more belief in his game this year in terms of getting to the rim, setting up his teammates. So I I think that's a good thing. And and I'm with you too, 100 percent that Joel Embiid is eventually going to become, if not the you know, favorite to win MVP, at least one of the top three or five guys in the league. And we'll see that happen. So again, don't want to act like the sky is falling. It's one game. They're going to be fine. They're going to figure it out. I expect the Sixers team to win at least upwards of, of 50 games, you know, 55, maybe even 60 if, if things go really, really well. So we don't want to act like the sky is falling 
after game one. Uh, one last question for you, though, Jackson, before we wrap things up here on our basically our, our season opener as well of our, of our postgame podcast, when you're looking at um, just some of the stuff that with, with the Sixers and, and some of the noise we've seen around them with, hey, you know what? They got uh, they got the dogs right now. They got the they got the people here who are going to help them kind of get over that hump, at least get to a conference finals. I think everybody's looking for that to begin with and then potentially win a championship. But when you look at the expectations around this team, how do you think this squad is is built to handle that? There's enough veterans here there. You know, this isn't like a young Memphis team who surprised people to finish as a two seed last year, went into the playoffs and was possibly a John Moran injury away from beating the Warriors and potentially beating the Celtics and, and, and going on to, to win the title. But when you look at this Sixer squad, you think they'll be able to handle the expectations. All right. Going through the season. Yeah. And I, I the thing I also want to touch on with a B just for if people are, you know, where, where the sky is falling is that I remember last year, he didn't start the well year very well. I know like part of it was he ended up having COVID, but he looked very good defensively to start the year, but the offense wasn't there. So just a, a caution that, you know, it, it takes time and there's 81 more of these in the regular season. Uh, so I would not worry at all about Embiid, but, uh, you know, I think they're fine in terms of the expectations. I don't know any of them personally, I'm not in that locker room, so I can't really speak on that necessarily, but, you know, I think this is a team that clearly like expects to make a deep run and it has guys that have made deep runs. I know not all of them have, you know, you know, PJ Tucker, I think is the only NBA champion, but you have guys like house and Harden who have made multiple conference finals. I think maybe house has only made one, um, maybe not, I can't remember, but he's made deep runs before. You know, Melton, you know, was on that Grizzly team last year that made, you know, won a second round, you know, won a playoff series and went up against the champs. So um, I think this seems fine, just for kind of my exterior view of things. Like I said, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know these guys personally, so I can't really speak on it. But the other goal is to win a title. They, they brought in guys who have experience in the playoffs, you know, have been on really good teams. So um, I expect them to be completely fine, when, you know, with with the goal of the title kind of looming, at least in the back of the mind. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're I'm sure that they're, if it, if it does not go as they wish, I'm sure there will be a litany of on-court reasons for any, you know, crumbling under the, the weight of the expectations type of type of thing. Well, and I feel like, you know, again, we're talking about game one. If we get to game 10 and they're four and six, five and five, I don't think it's a big deal. If you get to game 20, 25 and, you know, they're 25 games in and they're nine and 16, then, yeah, I think there's there's a reason to look at it. OK, something's not working here, but I am I am of the belief. And again, this is very early to be saying this. If things don't go right with this squad at 25, 30 games in, they're not going to make any significant changes to the roster. I think it's going to be Doc that has to go, right? Because Daryl Morey has done everything he can to assemble a, a championship-level team. Again, there's lots of basketball to be played, lots of factors that are going to go into that. But I think looking at the at the long run, if this team struggles, again, not going to say it. I'm going to harp on that because it's only game one. Um, yeah, Doc Doc is going to be the one who gets in trouble here. So uh, nothing, nothing to to... to get too worried about they are taking on milwaukee on uh on thursday and then do have a bit of a cupcake on uh on saturday taking on on the spurs and then they got a game against indy on monday and then the the raptors on a back-to-back wednesday and friday so again we'll keep our eye out and, and see what we're if we're noticing any differences how they're approaching things if the rotations are different if the defense is getting any better but again game one at 82 uh jackson we're going to do this a ton of times throughout the regular season so thanks as always for joining me looking forward to uh, chatting with you more, picking your brain on how they're going to get better. And hopefully next time we watch a game, we're not going to know the teams in a score bucket four seconds before they do, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We get, uh, and I'm looking forward to the uh, the Brett Brown revenge game on uh, on Saturday with Brett back on the uh, Spurs staff this year. So, yeah, appreciate having me on. And, you know, look forward to uh, watching this team evolve and, and grow and discuss the components of that. So uh, nice to get one game under our belt and, you know, shake off some of our own uh, preseason and offseason rust.
Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you know what, uh, again, look at, looking at this squad, we have, it's going to be, they're going to be one of the main teams in the NBA. Obviously they have a ton of, of national tele, nationally televised game too. So uh, there's going to be some added pressure, but not for the first couple of weeks. So, so we'll see what happens as we go forward and the Phillies are playing right now too. So everybody get your mind off it. We're recording this right after our game, uh, watch a Phillies game and do whatever it is you want uh, to get your mind off loss. Number one, that'll do it for this one. We'll be back. Uh, Jackson and I will be back next week on Wednesday doing the post game show. Uh, the gastro crew will be back with Steve, Emily, and Dan. They'll be working it on Thursday after the Milwaukee game. And then I'll be flying solo on Saturday too. So keep your eye out for that. Uh, again, appreciate everybody who listens to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Always uh, appreciate a five star review if you want to give us a subscription as well. Uh, we'll take that too. So again, uh, tune in for us. We're going to have you covered throughout the season. Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Sean Kennedy. Uh, Dave Early, a bunch of talented writers will have you covered on that side of things as well.